I will echo what Pastor Jay said. I miss all of you last week so much. We were in North Carolina with my uh, in-laws, and we went to church with my my brother-in-law, and we're sitting there in church last Sunday, and I lean over to my wife. I'm like, man, I miss my Bethel family. Miss you guys so much. So it is great to be back with you all today. Is, uh, I think absence makes the heart fonder. So uh, hope you all had a, a great New Year. Happy New Year. And uh, I am excited about what God is going to do in Bethel in 2024. I, I firmly believe that this next year is going to be the best year in the life of our church. Don't you guys think so? I believe that. I believe that God's going to do a great work in our church. And I want to make sure that we're ready to see God work, that our hearts are prepared for God to work in and through them and for us to reach our community this next year. We're going to do something as we continue on in our, our series, The Promise. We're walking through the, the life of Christ up until Easter. And I'm going to kind of take a, a little bit of a, a sideways one this morning um, to kind of coincide with what happened yesterday. Yesterday is a holiday in our community. Um, you know, it's a, a holiday that a lot of Latin, specifically Puerto Ricans, celebrate. Anybody know what that holiday was yesterday? Three Kings Day. Three Kings Day is a is a is a big holiday. If you'll notice in, in our community, a lot of times that the Christmas decorations don't come down until after Three Kings Day. And so I thought, you know what? I have never spoken on the wise men or the three kings, as you know, it said there. So I said, let's take a moment, because it does correlate with the life of Christ, and let's find out and let's look at who were the wise men. You know, as you, you look in, in Matthew chapter 2, I remember as a, as a kid reading in Matthew chapter 2, wondering, who were these guys? You know, where did they come from? Were they really kings? Why do these guys all of a sudden see a star in the sky and say, let's just hop on our camels or horses or whatever and start riding across the desert and see where it takes us? I mean, it's just, it's kind of mysterious, isn't it? This, this, we don't know much about who these guys were. Now, frankly, the only thing we really know about these wise men is some of, of history. We're going to look at a little bit of the Old Testament today and what Matthew records for us in Matthew chapter 2. We really are very, very limited in terms of specifics. In addition to what we have here in Matthew, it says that they came from the east. That's it, folks, right there. We don't know their names. We don't know how many of them there were. But we, there are pieces that we can put together historically, and this is going to make for a fascinating history walk for us today. If, if for those of you that enjoy history, today's going to be your message. But we're going to pull it all together and relate it to how God is working through human history and how he is working specifically in your life. Some of the Old Testament books, such as Daniel, is where the wise men, or as you, how many of you have ever heard them referred to as the Magi? The Magi appear in several different texts. And other Bible books as well as the writings of ancient historians, of Herodotus and other historians. So we're going to spend time today answering this question, who are the wise men, and then finish it in how God has worked through the centuries and how he's still working today in your life. We believe there were 
these wise men were a members of an Eastern priestly group, descendants of a tribe of people associated with the Medes. Maybe you've heard of the Medes. In the history of the world, let me give you a little bit of history lesson here. There were th- four major empires. You had the Babylonian Empire. Then you had the pa- Empire of the Medes and the Persians. The Medo-Persian Empire. The Babylonian Empire was in modern-day Iraq. Medo-Persian, a lot of it in modern-day Iraq and Iran. And it was a conglomerate of the Persian people in that area and also the Medes. The Medes were a very large and powerful people. After that was the Greek Empire. And Hollywood has made lots of dramas of the wars between the Greeks and the Persians. Maybe you all have seen some of those movies. Alexander the Great came through and he conquered the Medo-Persian Empire going all the way to modern-day India after the Greek Empire was the empire that we're all familiar with, the Roman Empire. Now as we go backwards, even while the Babylonian Empire was in existence, there were still the Medes and the Persians who were part of this empire. So they are a very ancient people. In fact, there are many people in history who trace the origin of the Medes all the way back to the time of Abraham when he was called out of Ur of the Chaldees in Genesis chapter 11. So it may well be that these are very, very ancient people. Certainly they are people who appear in the Babylonian Empire because we see them in the book of Daniel that we're going to look at in a few moments. And there are people from the Medo-Persian Empire that existed all the way through the Greek Empire, and all the way through the Roman Empire until the time that Christ was born. And they're even mentioned in the New Testament, but we're not going to have time to look at that today. So these are very ancient and long-lived people, these wise men from the East. And in Matthew chapter 2, it says in verse 1, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Some translations will will refer to that as magi. It is really an untranslatable, the word wise men is really an untranslatable word in English. It is simply the name of a certain tribe of people, the magi from the east. The magi were a priestly line, a priestly tribe of people from among the Medes. It is a very ancient and large people group, and they were very skilled in astronomy and astrology. Their interest in astronomy and astrology was only part of their involvement. Some certain sects of the Medes were also involved in the occult. They had some sort of divination processes, and they were involved in certain kind of things that we would assume perhaps were more like sorcery. And so that's why the word magi is corrupted down through history. And where we get the word magic or magician from this word magi. It is a synonym for sorcerer. But the magi were originally basically a pagan priestly tribe of people from the Medes and Persians. And there are many, many historical, outside of the Bible, historical references that support this. They became interested in astronomy and astrology and the study of the stars. And in those days, they didn't make much of a separation between superstition and science like what we do today. The science is the astronomy and the superstition is the astrology. And they were pretty much blended at the time. 
Now, what's interesting is that during the time of the Babylonian Empire, these magi were dwelling in Babylon. Now, while they were there during the Babylonian Empire, they were heavily influenced by the Jews. You'll remember that one of the things that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, did was when he conquered the southern kingdom of Judah, he took the smartest and the brightest of the Jewish people back with him to Babylon. And while here in Babylon were existing these magi, and they were very, very high-ranking officials in the in Babylon. By the time they had ascended to a high place in the Babylonian Empire because of their amazing intuition, their wisdom, knowledge, astrology, occultic ability, whatever you want to call it, they had arisen to a place of prominence in the Babylonian Empire. And so immediately they came into contact with all of these Jewish refugees from Judah that were there during captivity. They also came into contact with one very specific Jew named Daniel. I'm sure you've heard of Daniel in the Bible. There's a Bible, a book of the Bible named after him. He was enslaved in Babylon. And consequently, they were very familiar with the Jewish prophecy of the Messiah. They were also made aware of what was really on the Jewish prophetic plan for this one who was to come the Messiah foretold by the prophets of old. Now, I want to dig in a little bit and set the scene for what happens in, the, in this incredible passage in Matthew chapter 2, but we've got to go back to Daniel just a little bit to kind of set the scene for this. To set the scene, let's go to Daniel chapter 2, and this will help us reread Matthew chapter 2 in a different way and make a lot more sense. Daniel chapter 2 and verse 10 I don't want to set this, take too much time to set the context here, but here we are in the court of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and Daniel is there. The Jews are in captivity in Babylon, and this is what the verse says. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, now remember where they thought the Magi came from, from, from the from Ur of Chaldees. This is not a man, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. A lot of Bible scholars will tell you that those are all synonymous terms. So here we find the word, instead of magician, look at it as magi. It's not strictly the word magician. That's an English corruption of the word magi. It's talking about the priestly tribe. They had this very prominent place at the time. They were the advisors to the king. They were known as those who could interpret dreams. Now, you remember Nebuchadnezzar had a bizarre dream leading up to this passage that we just read that no one could interpret. You know, what's fascinating about it is there was one man who could interpret it. You know who that was? Daniel. You know the story. Let's go on just a little bit down to chapter 4, verse 7. We again see the Magi, chapter 4, verse 7. Then the magicians, enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in. There's your Magi. And told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. Let's skip down to verse 9. O Belteshazzar, who is that? That's Daniel. That's his Babylonian name that Nebuchadnezzar had given to him. Chief of who? Chief of the Magi. 
because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The story goes on to tell that Daniel did interpret the dream. You can finish reading that later in your own time in Daniel chapter 4. Now Daniel has come along and all these magi, these high-ranking palace advisors to the king couldn't get answers, but Daniel was able to get the answers. And the story goes on to say that Nebuchadnezzar praised the God of Daniel. Let's go down to the next story. In Daniel chapter 11, Nebuchadnezzar is dead and off the scene. His son is now the ruler of the Babylonian Empire. And the context for this passage is the Medes and the Persians were about to capture and conquer Babylon. And there's this mysterious handwriting that goes on the wall. But no one could interpret it. Daniel chapter 5 verse 11, There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of who? The magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, chief of the magi. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Of course, Daniel did come in, and he did interpret the writing and said, O king, your days are numbered. Your days are done. Now how interesting, Daniel was so adept at telling the the dreams of the king that the king made him ruler over the magi. So that Daniel was literally in Babylon, the chief, over this whole entire priestly group. It's fascinating. Now that puts Daniel in a tremendously unique disposition to dispense these magi, of, dispense all of the information that he knew about the Old Testament and about the prophecies of the coming Messiah. And without a shadow of a doubt, we know that he gave that information to the Magi. We know that Daniel was a man of God, and we know that Daniel was a man totally devoted to worship and expression of his faith because it put him in a den of lions. Another story in the book of Daniel that you can read. It's a great book. And there's no question in my mind that Daniel and the other godly remnant remnant of the Jews shared their knowledge of the Old Testament and their copies of scripture with the people in Babylon and the Magi. Additionally, when the final decree of Cyrus came that they could go back to the land of Jerusalem and Judea, the majority of the Jews never left. The majority of the Jews stayed there in Persia, in Babylon, intermingled, intermarried, and throughout the remaining history of Babylon and the Medo-Persian Empire, There were noble families, high-ranking officials and offices. Some even say monarchs in that part of the world who had Jewish blood. And we know that even all the way up until the mid-20th century, until the rise of militant Islam, there were large sections of Jewish populations in Iraq and Iran going back to the days of Daniel because of that time. Now I'm going to talk a little bit more about history before we get to to Matthew, to continue setting up this story for you. The Magi were powerful 
the historians tell us that no Persian was ever able to become king of Persia except under two conditions. One, he mastered the scientific and religious discipline of the Magi. He had to be approved, number two, approved and crowned by the Magi. Now that's something, that's powerful. Do you know what they call the wisdom of the Magi? What is the wisdom of the Magi? They had a name for it. The name for it was the law of the Medes and the Persians. That may sound familiar to you. Where do we hear about the law of the Medes and the Persians? Esther chapter 1 verse 19. We hear about the law of the Medes and the Persians. And then Daniel chapter 6. We hear about the law of the Medes and the Persians. The law of the Medes and the Persians was a code, a scientific religious discipline of who? The Magi. And their wisdom was that which was required for anyone to be the ruling king in Persia. Additionally, historians tell us that they controlled the judicial office as well as the kingly office in Persia. The setup was made by God to set the scene for Matthew chapter 2. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, in fact, it was around 600 years, the story of Daniel happened before Christ. God was setting up the situation for a great Hebrew prophet, Daniel, to rule a group called the Magi, so that one day when the baby was born in Bethlehem, some of those Magi would find their way to the house where the baby was living. Now that's planning history, isn't it? Do you see God's hand in that history? Now I want to move forward to the time of of Jesus in Matthew chapter 2. Time has gone on century after century until Jesus is born. Somehow, And by some marvelous way, God has managed to maintain the truth-seeking magi. Many of them had become corrupted, but there were some in that part of the world, some of the magi, high-ranking kingmakers in the great empire of the East. And there were some at that time who were still seeking and wondering when the prophecy of the Messiah would be fulfilled. So let me set the stage here for you, politically speaking, in Matthew chapter 2. Rome was scared of the Eastern Empire. At this time, the Eastern Empire was called the Parthian Empire. And if you'll focus your mind on on Europe for just a moment, I don't know how good of a geography brain you can, uh, can imagine here real quick, but you've got Rome who controls all the Mediterranean and most of Europe. Then you've got the the Parthian Empire, which is where modern-day Iraq, Iran, Saudi Arabia, all of that, and squeezed right in the middle is what? Between those two, Israel. Israel is the buffer between these two great empires. And Rome was terrified of the Parthian Empire, this great eastern empire. Rome and Parthia had fought wars in 55 B.C. and 40 B.C. And what's fascinating is, where did they always fight these battles? Syria, Jordan, and Israel. That's where these battles were fought. This great empire of the West, the Roman Empire, would face off against the great 
Empire of the East, the Parthian Empire, and they fought in this little no-man's land between the two powers, and Rome was terrified of the Parthian Empire. Let's look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 3. I'm going to read these first three verses here. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east, where is the east? Parthia, came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has born, been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Not just Herod, but what does the rest of the verse say? And all of the rest of Jerusalem with him. Because they knew what this meant. When he had heard that Magi, the Parthian kingmakers, had arrived in Jerusalem, he was shaken in his boots. Now at the time of Christ in the Eastern Empire, there was a ruling body there, almost like a senate. And this ruling house ruled the Parthian Empire, and it was totally composed of magi whose duty it was, now watch this, to be the absolute authority on the selection of the next king of the Parthian Empire. They were the kingmakers. And you know what happened? They had some real problems with their current king. They wanted to fight Rome and knock Rome off because they thought Rome was weak. But they had a loser king, Phraates IV, and Phraates IV was deposed, and Phraates V and his mother was trying to take over the throne of Parthia. And a new, they're trying to become the, 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 the rulers of Parthia, but the Magi were seeking for a new king. And when they arrived in Jerusalem, Herod knew exactly what was going on. They were the kingmakers. And when they wandered into town, saying, where is the king of the Jews? Scripture said, Herod got troubled. He was panicky. He knew exactly what was going on. And when suddenly these Persian kingmakers appeared in Jerusalem, no doubt traveling in full force with their oriental pomp, and they used to wear these conical hats with points on the top, and they rode Persian steeds, not camels, these Persian steeds, and they came not alone, but with the Persian cavalry. They came charging into Jerusalem, and Herod peeked out his little phallus window, and he probably flipped. These are powerful men, and historians tell us that his army was likely out of the country on a mission. And the Bible says Herod was troubled. Not just King Herod, but all of Jerusalem. You see, Herod had a title. What was Herod's title? King of the Jews. That was the title that his buddy, Caesar Augustus, had given him. And he realized that his great dream of life was to get that little backwards Roman buffer state to look like Rome. That was his dream. If you go to Israel today, you'll see many of the modern marvels were created by Herod the Great. And all of a sudden, this massive entourage of Persians arrive in the city, and what do they say? We're coming to find 
the king of the Jews. What a slap in the face to Herod. Now, at this time, Herod was close to death. Caesar Augustus was really old and hanging on by a thread. Tiberius had since retired. The Romans did not even have a commander-in-chief, and they knew that this would be a great time for the Parthian Empire to bring a war against them. And so Herod was shaking. You might think, what were the Magi thinking? Maybe they had looked at it politically. Maybe they thought, oh man, here comes the king. But because they had come all the way to this little town in Bethlehem, the Bible says they came and they did what to Jesus? They worshipped him. They worshipped him. They saw more than a king. I believe they saw the Messiah they, that they had heard about from the days of Daniel. I think we have these God-fearing Seeking Gentiles, seeking a Messiah. I think it was twofold. I'm sure they were thinking maybe this is the Savior, the Savior that Daniel wrote about. And maybe not only was he the Messiah, but maybe he is the one, they're thinking, that will gather all of the people of the East to shake off the oppression of Rome. By the way, the Magi knew that the people of Israel would be on their side they knew that the jewish people hated the romans and that's why they came into town and started to ask where this new king was because they thought the jewish people would be just as excited as they were but you see as matthew will record for us all throughout their gospel all throughout his gospel they were blinded by their unbelief it's fascinating that the first people in the world to recognize the arrival of the Messiah, the king, were Gentiles. Gentiles. Matthew's going to record for us that he came into his own and his own received him not. And Matthew follows that all the way through, this rejection of the king. I'm sure the Magi are thinking, could this be the invincible monarch? They could crown him, they could take him back and make him king, they could unify the east. And with this great Messiah that Daniel had prophesied that could go against Rome with invincibility. And so in Jerusalem rides this group of magi, kingmakers in the east, on their Persian steeds, escorted by mounted cavalry, and they bring gifts fit for a king. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Let me, with our time left today, let me close here and kind of bring it back to God's working in history and in your life. Now, I've spoken for now 25 minutes on history. And some of you, not all of you, some of you are still fighting off trying to stay awake. But some of you have been sitting at the edge of your seat. Why is that? Why is it that history and facts about history are fascinating? It's not because a bunch of there are just a bunch of historical facts, but because when you line these historical facts up, you can see the hand of God working all throughout history. God is doing a work. 
You see, God didn't just, God didn't stop doing a work in the Bible. God has continued to work through history, and he is working in the history of your life. Some of you that have lived a good portion of your life can reflect back and see the same hand of God that was working in Daniel has worked time and time again in your life. I'll tell you, in 2024, God wants to continue working in your life. Are you ready and are you prepared for him to make 2024 a year where you come and worship him and allow God to work in your life. This past week, at the bank I work at, we had massive layoffs. And one of my close friends I work with for more than a decade lost his job. And he called me the next day, excited, telling me about what God had done. He said, you know what, Robert? He goes, you know, I... I'm a Christian, but I'd been away from God. And he goes, God really started working on my heart back in the fall. So I got back in church every week, been reading my Bible, been praying, you know, getting my family back to God. And I, I knew that God was working on me to do something. And he, he had kind of shared with me what his career aspirations were, and it was not in banking where we work. And so he was laid off on Wednesday morning. Wednesday afternoon, <laughs> he got a call for his dream job. And he was in tears, to the point of tears, saying, man, it's amazing. Had I not allowed God to start working in my life and preparing my heart, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. God has something special for you this next year. My question for you is, are you going to allow him to work in your heart and in your life? When Daniel was carried off to Babylon in captivity as a young teenage boy, I'm sure he never saw himself as king or as chief of the priestly tribe of the Magi being used by God for the coming Messiah. There are going to be th awful, terrible things that will happen throughout our lives. That's part of life. But God can use those terrible things to prepare you for what is to come. God wants to use you to bring him honor and glory you see history it is a long story long ago he picked out a man named daniel put him in a, a place of influence so men who would arrive in bethlehem at the perfect timing you say well why does matthew present it this way why matthew all the way through his gospel is trying to tell the world what? Matthew chapter 1, 
is all about the genealogies tracing what? Showing that Jesus is king. Matthew chapter 1 is to show the, the kingly bloodline. Matthew chapter 2 is what? It's the kingmakers of the Parthian Empire coming all the way across the desert to do what? Worship the king. The king of the Jews. Do you see, this is part of Matthew's strategy. He is the king. And if the Jews aren't going to recognize it, he's going to bring people from the Persian Empire who will recognize that his son is the king. You see, God has master-planned history. And the sad part of it is that the people who should have known, the people who should have known the scriptures, who should have been there worshiping him, they missed it. And the people from way off, who history would have never guessed, showed up and worshiped. That's history. Jesus came, Paul said, to the Jew first and also to the Gentiles. He reached out to the Gentiles, Romans says, and he grafted us in. And the hint of that was right here in the very beginning. When the king arrived, if his people would not praise him, then God would make sure that somebody was there. And not just somebody, but the kingmakers were there to worship him. You know, in our world today, we celebrate Christmas. <laughs> we celebrate Three Kings Day as we did yesterday, many of you. And many people don't know who these wise men really were. Maybe some of you before today did not understand the significance of the wise men to the Christmas story. Did not know the meaning. But allow this story, this understanding of the wise men, to drive you to do exactly what they did, which was bow down and worship him. We serve a God who is not just in control of the macro the big things in history, but he's in control of all the way down to each individual in this room. He loved you so much that he sent his son to this earth to die upon a cross for you. Allow that, that reminder the fact that your sin debt has been paid to worship him. Let's pray. Dear God, it's amazing to see how you really work in history. 
I think it's hard sometimes with our finite minds. We look at things and we, we don't understand why sometimes they're in Scripture and we dig a little deeper and deeper Then all of a sudden we see your marvelous hand at work. We see your incredible greatness, your unequal power, your wisdom. I thank you, God, for these wise men, these magi, who were seeking the one true king. Today, and I, God, I pray that today in our church, in Bethel Community Church, God, I pray that we will be like these magi and come this next year and our hearts would be filled with worship. God, I, I, we have people today who are like the Jews of Matthew chapter 2. They've sat here week after week after week. They've heard the gospel message, but yet they miss him. They have not accepted him as Lord and as Savior of their lives. God, I pray that you would convict their hearts. And that they would follow you as their Lord and Savior. That they would become like those who came from afar. And that they would rejoice in the God of their salvation. God, I thank you that you planned us to be here this Sunday, this day, to worship you. God, we give you all the praise and glory because of your Son, Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.